0: This is Robbie from Media Roots. Today's episode is a tribute to the prolific band Coil. Coil's last remaining member, Peter Christofferson, died on November 25th. So we just wanted to pay tribute to him and all the great work that they did and open and close this broadcast with two songs of theirs. This is the dark age of
1: love.
2: Welcome to Media Roots Radio. This is your host Abby Martin
0: and this is your co-host Robbie Martin.
2: This is an independently funded radio show. This is our 6th episode now and we're just asking everyone to consider donating to mediaroots.org to keep this going because that's the only way grassroots project will, projects will continue. And check out Mediaroots.org for more information. And check out our SoundCloud link where you're hearing this if you want to get all the information for the music and resources that we talk about and play on the show. Stay tuned to the end of the broadcast. We're going to air a special interview with Paul LaRudy. He was on the Freedom Flotilla into Palestine that got sieged by Israel. So definitely stay tuned to check out that interview at the end of the broadcast. You know, Thanksgiving is tomorrow, and... All over the news right now, we're seeing just these invasive TSA procedures that are happening all over airports. Now we have the backscatter, um, scan machines almost in every airport, and they're offering you a choice. Either go through the radioactive backscatter machine or get aggressively and thoroughly groped and publicly humiliated. Um, there was just a story of a man who had a not a colostomy bag, but a little bag that held his urine, and he was trying to tell the TSA agents that he had a medical condition and that he needed to be screened in private, and they just aggressively, like, tore the bag out of him, and he spilled urine all over himself, and just things like this are happening everywhere, and it's just time we stand up and say no more.
0: But yeah, one of the most surreal things for me to come out of this 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 era we're in right now, where civil liberties have been ignored by the majority of Americans liberal or conservative republican or democrat for the last 8 years and all of a sudden now um mainstream republican talking points are you know don't touch my junk coming from the the blog about the the guy who you know sunk a camera through and he and he told the guy that he would arrest him if he touched his gentelia it's amazing to me how how it's actually people seem like they've actually reached a breaking point. You can't say that these people are astroturfers or that they're plants by the Republican party. I mean, this is this I think this is should be looked at as a genuine concern. But, you know, there's parts of my mind where like I'm I go back and forth on this all the time. Like I I thought the whole healthcare opposition was mostly astroturfed. Right now it's it's really hard to say that this is uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on it?
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I'm I'm concerned about it, so I I definitely see the concern. Uh but yeah, I mean, as in terms of the whole right wing talking points, it is strange. I mean, we see more and more Napolitano's show and Geraldo just had on Bob McIlvain and, and an engineer from Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. And you see just all over the place, they're talking about the TSA, how we should stand up. They had the guy on Fox the other day who brought the camera through and said, don't touch my junk. I mean, they're completely putting this issue right in the forefront and saying that this is a gross um, violation of our civil liberties. So my biggest question is, where have they been the last nine years?
0: I don't know. And the, and these were the same people who, for years, um, they were screaming the mantra, "Well, if you if you're not doing anything wrong, then you don't have anything to hide." Um, and they're the, also the same people that's saying flying is a as a privilege, not a right, and that uh, you know it, if it keeps us safer, then they'll be they're they're willing to do anything. But why all of a sudden have have they reached this breaking point? Is it because it's now sexually invasive is this what it took social conservatives i mean is, is seriously like i really think that's part of it it's like now that their genitals are being fondled right. that's too much for them but all this time people like you and me and other true civil libertarians are sitting there screaming well taking off your shoes is invasive right um you know not asking able to, yeah. you where you're going like uh, you're, you're not even going through customs and they'll still ask you questions and, and make you feel nervous about stuff like that like um, yeah, and
2: the, the 1070 bill isn't invasive. It's just it, this hypocrisy is very weird and it needs to be called out.
0: It does need to be called out. And, and what's interesting about this is it's almost like for a long time the Tea Party movement th- was was um, originally more of a civil libertarian movement start, you know, started by Ron Paul followers. And then Fox News tried to steal the energy away from it. So did Glenn Beck. Um, so did conservative talk radio. And for a while it seemed like they were actually diluting the message to an extent where it was no longer threatening to the establishment in any way, um, they were diluting it and turning it into a completely partisan anti, you know, Democratic Party thing. But now it's almost like it's it's backfired on them. If their plan was to co-opt it and dilute it and just steal away that message, it's almost backfired because now like Drudge Report is posting Infowar articles every day. Fox News is basically talking about things that we've been talking about for years now it's it's extremely weird and 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 if this is backfiring on them then you know maybe it's positive you know I'm trying to fight the urge of my mind which thinks that you know is so skeptical of anything Fox News or any right wingers do but if people are talking about it that's good if Rush Limbaugh is complaining about it who cares if he's an asshole yeah I mean
2: yeah exactly it's gonna wake people up no matter what I think And after some time, I definitely have switched my mind about about the whole Fox News thing covering issues like this, but I really do think it's all about money. I mean, we're living in a corporate top-down model that's been penetrated into our government apparatus. So it really is all about profit maximization for these corporations. And Fox News, I just think it's stupid not to pick up on, on this energy, the civil libertarian movement that's yeah. that's really picking up steam. I just think it's good business.
0: And, and I just thought of something else, that Fox News and things like the New York Post, they're masters at that sensationalist, emotionally evocative sure. um, kind of news coverage. And this, in a sense... Is very emotionally evocative. I don't think it's sensationalist because it's. I f- I find it to be an extreme violation of my rights. But in a way, it almost fits perfectly in the template that they've been following so far. Except it's. It still seems extremely hypocritical because, who st- who started the TSA?
2: Right, Bush. Who started Bush. Homeland Security? Who, Bush who administration. Who
0: pushed the Patriot Act through?
2: Who criminalized thought and activism with the? I mean, the Homegrown Terrorism Act and the Animal Enterprise Terrorism Act. I mean, all these things happened under the Bush administration, and wasn't the Patriot Act too far? I mean, why? It just—it's just interesting.
0: And one thing I learned—I think I read it in Alicia's last article for Media Roots, the one that she she expands the acronym of the Patriot Act. Oh yeah. What what does it stand for? Like providing additional. It's tools, the most. Something. It's just. The it's most the most, most
2: Orwellian. <laughs> If you really do like spell out the acronym for the USA Patriot Act, it is the most Orwellian thing ever.
0: And I acronym. and I didn't even know that it was an acronym. I, I mean when I when I saw that I seriously like laughed out loud because it actually is a it's a really hard
2: worked on acronym. It's a really hard, <laughs> hard hard worked on acronym. I'm sure that I'm sure they had this all written up. I mean, we know that they had this written up before 9/11, so they even like Probably took a long time just thinking of the acronym. It's the the USA Patriot Act spells out uniting and strengthening America by providing appropriate tools required to intercept and obstruct terrorism act of 2001. It's a long acronym. That's a, that's Ooh, that's a doozy. That is a doozy. Um, yeah. And what you were saying earlier about oh how Jimmy
0: Wales, look at his face on the Wikipedia know, page. He's
2: pleading for money. Sorry, F-U, Jimmy. Jimmy Wales. <laughs> Sorry, Jimmy.
0: Ministry of Truthopedia. <laughs>
2: It is the that is a really weird like the whole thing anyway about Wikipedia censors but you were talking earlier about about the right-wing denial of civil liberties issues during the Bush administration when it seemed like the left wing was really out there talking about these issues and now it seems like not only are we seeing the right-wingers now talking about these issues but we're seeing the liberals actually downplay them and say that now the right wingers are being hysterical and that the tsa thing is not a big deal and that's the part that's really crazy is how it seems like the the left wingers kind of flipped on this issue
0: it shows how the left and right paradigm destroys the debate and how it like makes it
2: makes it into this
0: partisan left versus right thing but it's not a partisan
2: issue it's, it's not a partisan issue it applies issue. to everybody <laughs> yeah it's 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 civil liberties is what everyone should be caring about but
0: you're right though the right wingers ignored civil liberties um, erosion for eight years by all, all done by Bush and codified by the Obama administration. All Obama did was codify them. He's made them worse and incrementally, but I mean, pretty much all that groundwork was laid under Bush.
2: Absolutely, you know, that this whole talk just reminds me of um, when we're talking about loyalists and just liberals who adhere to the, the democratic team and don't really look outside the box or the paradigm have you seen that website that's been going around that says what the fuck has obama done so far.com?
0: Yeah, and ooh it's like it's like really edgy cuz it uses the f-word. It's like, oh, it appeals to that that young, you know, like disillusion like person who's into Obama a little bit still, but and they, they want to still stay in that comfort zone. So they need to hold on to that little thread still.
2: How funny is it that, that they don't even know what he's done, that no. they need to make a yeah. website that says like, look, in case you're wondering, since yeah. he hasn't done anything it's at kinda, all that he's set out to do, it reminds here are the little it, things that he's done. It's trying to do like... A, <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: trying to appeal to that like Generation X like um, thing that they parody in Reality Bites where like Ben Stiller shows the <laughs> shows the chopped up documentary of writer, Ryder. Where it's like, what do we care about? We're, what are our dreams? Pizza and like shows like the, the pizza spinning over the screen.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a completely cherry picked website. I looked through numerous facts that it put up on the screen and a lot of them were just really weird, obscure, like earmarks of legislative I mean legislation that was just like really really obscure and it would pretty much it seemed to me like it would it would be any sitting democratic president would sign I mean would sign these bills that had these earmarks in him it just it, nothing nothing in it. it I was like oh great Obama did that
0: and it's cherry picking on multiple levels it's cherry picking of individual things like it'll 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 say you know he did a withdrawal from Iraq but it won't mentioned all the other things about Iraq, how he left 50,000 troops there, but then it also cherry picks within certain issues, like the healthcare thing. It cherry picks it and says like, well, he, you know, put a cap on the amount of premiums that sick people have to pay, but he doesn't talk about how there's all these loopholes to get around that still. And it's just like total BS. And
2: it also doesn't talk about how many different premiums people have to pay for different pre-existing conditions. You know about that, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, insane to me that this health care bill wasn't characterized as a bailout for the health insurance companies because that's essentially what it was.
2: Yeah. The health care bill is completely not progressive at all. In fact, it's a corporate grab. I mean, the, cor- the health care industry wrote the bill. So they clearly are profiting the most from it. Um, but it's like they speak in the voice of
0: the liberal cause. You know, it's like they they they, they it's amazing that people still buy that. Like they don't They're so wooed by the, you know, the, the, uh, oh, we're going to rise up and we're all going to get free insurance and we're all going to be better that they just don't.
2: Well, it's the cultural myth. It's what people need to hold on to. You know, they need to believe in that. It's very strong. But yeah, the website is, it strikes me as so funny because, you can make that website about any president. I could make the website that says what the fuck has a, has Bush done.com or what the fuck has Nixon done.com or what the fush, fuck has Bush senior done.com and you can cherry pick any little things that they did that could be portrayed as good.
0: Yeah, let's let's cherry pick. Let's say let's imagine what a, what the fuck has Nixon done um, one being about it. it'll be about how Nixon was the most environmental, li- environmentally liberal president. He passed he, he started the EPA, um, how he he flew to China and, and, you know, sat down and talked with China, you know, our enemies since, you know, from way back.
2: Yeah, and and what the fuck has Bush done? We could talk about the um, amnesty to illegal immigrants, his proposal for that. Yeah, or, liberals
0: love would love that. Or what about in a the, vacuum? If you don't look at yeah. any other horrendous things that he's done. Yeah,
2: exactly. If you just take everything in a va- in a vacuum, I mean, every president has done some good things too. And
0: that and that goes back to a lot of the a lot of what we've been talking about so far on our show is this whole idea of lies by omission. Um, The cultural myths that we all hold on to, the way that the media portrays information to us is a lot of the times parts of it are true, bits and pieces of it are true, but it's this this omittance of the most important facts. You know, when you talk about Iraq having WMDs and, you know, if they have WMDs, we're going to invade them. That's a lie by omission in the sense that not only do we not talk about our WMDs and the con- all the other countries that have them, but also why is it even logical to go after a country that has, quote, WMDs? Just because they have a stockpile of weapons doesn't mean that they're a threat. That concept is never challenged. It's That's a cultural myth that everybody still holds on to. Yeah. It's just like, well, they lied about the WMDs, so we shouldn't have go- gone there, but That's not, that's still illogical. It doesn't matter if they had them or not. Uh, It's still a preemptive illegal war.
2: Exactly. I I just saw a Project Censored lecture the other night, um, and they were talking about forms of propaganda used in society. One is um, political, one is societal, and the other one is the underlying propaganda that allows societal and political propaganda to flourish. And the biggest one that I can think of is just the myth of imperialism. The myth that we need to be an aggressive, imperialistic nation. I mean, it seems like we never point out the hypocrisy of, like you just said, the fact that we are the largest warmongers in the world. We are the biggest advocates of terrorism. If you're looking at the true sense of what the word terrorism means, we use the most terrorism. We have
0: 25% of the entire world's prisoners in our country.
2: Yeah. And we, I mean, we spend more on our military than any other country combined. That is our commodity. That is what we do. That's, that's how we operate. So to not, to not go after that cultural myth and say, why, why do we need to be waging war constantly? That should be the biggest underlying myth that we, we attack and every piece of political dialogue. Yeah. And, and
0: going back to what you said about the, the cultural myth that, um, (laughs) The cultural myth that America needs to be imperialistic, it's almost turned into a myth of America's not imperialistic, even though it clearly is. By every factor, it is. But people are lulled into this belief system where we do what we need to do to be America and to be strong and to protect the world, but we don't, somehow we don't see, it's almost like it's shielded from us. It's in the same mm-hmm. way the meat industry doesn't want us to see the slaughterhouses Absolutely. and cow schwitz, you know, down highway five. They don't want us to see cows packed in like sardines with no room to move around because it'll make us not want to buy eat meat. The American government doesn't want us, to, and the media doesn't want us to know how imperialistic we are because it'll make us lose faith in the government. And that's all they have.
2: Yeah. We need to be detached from those that we're killing. It's that whole thing. Like, can we extend empathy worldwide? I mean, we're somehow empathic with our fellow Americans, but can we extend that empathy to the rest of the world? Well, that's the big, that's the age old question, isn't it? I mean, the media and, and political propaganda seem to make us think that we are you know, we are us, we are the best. And then we're fighting these people who are the, them, the, you know, the enemy. And these people are different than us and we should hate them.
0: And it's also, it also gets intertwined with the, 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 the heroic cultural myths on the Christian, right. That God has bestowed upon America, some sort of mission to like help the world. Yeah, that whole, and God bless America. Yeah, yeah, just God bless that. our troops. Like God, you know, is protecting our troops and, and those evil Muslims. it's, it, it's, it's all gets mixed up and, and turns into this weird emotional tribalism.
2: It, how much of a big fu is that to the entire planet and all of civilization and <laughs> in, in history? The fact that we like our whole mantra of this country is God bless America.
0: Yeah. And Chris Hedges
2: specifically America. Okay.
0: Yeah. And that Chris Hedges <laughs> talked the death of the liberal class. He, he, he used to be, he was in seminary. He was training to become a priest and he talks about how when he was young, The church that he belonged to, he he considered it pretty liberal by today's standards, and that the Christian right of today, it is heretical if you actually compare it to real Christian values. The sense that they would believe that America is given this special godlike power, um, that it's you know that it's a god. You know, America is a miracle. That we live here, we live in the best country on earth, God's given country. Yeah. I mean that that is heretical against like G- Jesus would I mean Jesus would be horrified. If he's a real person and he heard that. I mean,
2: <laughs> absolutely, Jesus I mean, Christ, I mean, imagine that. And yeah, I mean it it goes back to the whole Eric Prince, the head of Blackwater. I mean, it kind of I could see where he gets off on like his psychosis of thinking that he's on a Christian Absolutely. crusade. If you really do believe that America's bestowed with some sort of godlike mission, then I could see why people who are psychotic would get into positions of power like Eric Prince did and oh. really go after <laughs> his, his mission <laughs> yeah or,
0: or, or take it even one step further and if i mean if he's the kind of christian that believes he's going to be raptured and <laughs> believes in the idea of um of apocalyptic massacre you know that's going to happen mm-hmm. during this rapture then you know that takes it even to a another level of soci- sociopathic behavior yeah because he doesn't he just believes he's going to be taken away in a you know miraculous little burst of energy by. Jesus have you,
2: have you heard of that It's actually a business where you can sign up. If you do believe that the rapture is going to happen in your lifetime, you can pay to have someone sign you up um, for the rapture list. and when you do get uh, you know when you do get raptured, this little company will send out little letters to the, your surviving family to just let them know where you went.
0: You just remembered something about the on what the fuck does Obama know.com. Um, they talk about the Iraq withdrawal so great we, we, we mentioned that earlier but
2: but Bush actually set the timetable for the withdrawal of Iraq which no one really talks about because no one was really paying attention at that point but I mean Obama didn't wasn't the first one to set the timetable for troops to leave quote unquote even though they're still there and there's still a ton of military contractors there but yeah it was it was originally Bush who did that
0: that just illustrates the magic of how easy it is to just fool part someone who's really partisan like Obama, totally just did exactly what Bush planned to do. And he's credited for something as being like a liberal maneuver.
2: Yeah. Bush also gave a lot of funding to Africa. No one talks about that. I mean, I could put that on a website that says what has Bush com. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um,
2: and we were talking about cultural myths um, that exist. They're the underlying myths of our society, the foundation that other propaganda is able to propagate. Um, One of those is imperialism and just a few other cultural myths, sexism, racism. I mean, just the fact that we live in a system where people feel like they need to vote for someone because they're a quote, the lesser of two evils. Even
0: people who believe the system is broken. Um, I was having a discussion with someone on Facebook and they they kind of took issue with, with some things I was saying about Obama and they agreed with me that the system was broken, but at the same time they were saying, well, at least Obama would, will protect Roe versus Wade versus someone like Sarah Palin or a Republican. But I mean, even that, um,
2: so that's what it's come to now is just like trying to protect Roe V Wade. So just everyone can be identical on every issue except that. And that's like what we should vote for now. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, just the lesser of two evils thing is so ridiculous. It, it is such a cultural myth and it is so important to to examine and to critically just break it down because why? OK, so I'm, a, I'm for peace. I'm an advocate of peace. I'm looking at two candidates who are virtually the same on foreign policy. Why should we vote? Why should we trust a system and put someone in power who we know is going to wage war? I don't believe that. And, and anyone who's trying to tell me that I'm wasting a vote, that's not, it's just adhering to that cultural myth that we need to just vote for a Democrat or Republican. No, there's other candidates who are perfectly viable. I know that they would immediately end the wars, bring the troops home and and put our country back on the right direction. But we can't, we can't economically sustain these wars at all or our foreign policy as it stands. So I just think that that's a big cultural myth that needs to be put in the forefront and really every chance. I mean, we should be talking about why it is that war is necessary. Is it to sustain our economy because war is how we survive? Or,
0: or why is it, and you could tie that into the idea that it, why is it necessary to cast a vote for the, the lesser of two evils at the ballot box? Just to, you know, this uh, this myth that you can, you know, just sort of edge things in the in the right direction a little bit. And uh, I really like this, this quote by Chris Hedges, where he says that The idea, the notion that you can go to the ballot box, cast a vote for a Democrat and change things for the better is just as much of a cultural myth or just as much as magical thinking as a Republican right wing conservative Christian thinking that they're going to be raptured. It's in the same realm of magical thinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's I know people probably get angry by that statement who voted for Obama, but it really is. I mean, it's I'm, I'm sorry to say.
2: I know. Yeah. I mean, you cannot, you, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. So why would you just vote down the line democratic for your whole life and you just hate what's going on? The people tell me all the time, well, you know, it's, it's just wishful thinking to vote for anyone else or, you know, it's just not viable to vote for anyone else. Well, it's not viable for you to vote for someone who's who's in the system sorry i mean if everyone just thought that yeah of course it's not going to be viable because if everyone has that way of thinking then no one's ever going to get a chance that's a third party candidate or someone who's really advocating peace like dennis Kucinich or ron paul but that's why we should pay attention to these people and that's why we should constantly ask why they're not being covered and really try to get their message out there it's just a, it's just a cyclical thing. People say don't pay attention to him and then they use that as an excuse to not vote for them.
0: Yeah, and 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 when Obama came into office, he did codify all of these horrendous Bush era policies. And now we see Bush going on this book tour 2 years into Obama's presidency where it's like and it it's almost like now that those policies have been codified by Obama, it's almost like Bush is this likable guy now. He's like a jolly grandpa he's holding hands with Oprah Winfrey he's like the drunk show.
2: grandpa who's going around like jolly just during the holidays yeah. just going selling his book everyone buy Bush's book this Christmas
0: making testicle jokes on Fox and Friends and they're cackling you know in the background yeah, I'm sorry
2: this man waterboarded people he's responsible for the death of over a million civilians and on this planet
0: and he's he's admitted several times on television and in his book that he broke the law
2: and he, he says he's not sorry for it. He says he never, he wouldn't have changed no. a thing. He said the biggest regret of his presidency, or the, or the worst moment for him, was when Kanye West said that he was racist. Or didn't like black people. I mean, yeah, and it was really? probably because it was true
0: or, or whatever. I mean, that just shows this <laughs> level of detachment that that's what gets upset about. And I used to have these dark fantasies where, I mean, part of me wanted to believe they were true, that, that after I saw Frost Nixon for the first time, I was like, wow, wouldn't it be amazing if Rumsfeld, Cheney, Bush, any of these psychotic, lunatic war criminals were interviewed by a real reporter. Mm -hmm. A a reporter who wouldn't be afraid to ask the real questions that everybody wants to ask. Just like David Frost sat down and asked Nixon. And the sad thing is, one of the most popular liberal commentators, Jon Stewart, says that we shouldn't be calling people war criminals because it's shrill and it doesn't help things. Well, I'm sorry, but when someone actually is a war criminal... It's kind of hard you know, to how, call on any other yeah, term. I yeah. mean, maybe we can look in a If it book walks
2: of, like a duck, talks like it. I mean, I just don't- They bro- He broke yeah. international law. He broke the Geneva Conventions. He tortured. I mean, John I don't Stewart understand what lost else you have
0: to do. If anyone's gone to sleep really hard after Obama got off, it's, it's Mr. Stewart. It's, yeah. It's amazing. Unfortunately.
2: I mean, and you were saying before, real, you know, yeah, real journalists asked, asked uh, Nixon the hard questions and wouldn't let him just walk around- after he, he was president and just let him give him a free pass. But we don't have real journalists today. I mean, at least those put out in the sensationalized media.
0: Um, the hardest question he was asked during this absurd, um, just really disgusting little tour that his red alcoholic face did <laughs> was uh, where he was asked by a reporter. um why did you take your eye off the ball in Afghanistan, like some people have said that you did, and 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 pour all these efforts into Iraq? Do you think that you made things worse in Afghanistan? And uh, that's that's about as far as it goes. Or I, I think Matt Lauer asked him, you know, why did you authorize waterboarding, which which some people described as torture, and and Bush went into his little spiel that he does every single time that every that's just a complete uh, mental gymnastics. I mean, it's not even logical that. <laughs> What Bush said that he goes into every single time is that, well, we hired lawyers to look into it, and this is what they said that we could do. But nobody ever challenges him after that and says, well, but you hired those lawyers so that they could create loopholes for you to get around the law. That's why you hired them.
2: You hired John Yoo in order to create a legal framework to be able to torture. Yeah, you didn't innocently
0: ask a lawyer— um, is this ok to do it because I'm not going to do it if it's illegal? You asked the lawyer, what technical legal mumbo jumbo can we use to get yeah, away with doing this?
2: We even know that. yeah. Rumsfeld in that in that memo that came out, we even saw like Rumsfeld's notes just saying, like, this is good. Yeah, do more of this. I mean, they knew yeah. exactly what they were doing. It's disgusting. And you see Bush on Oprah. oprah, this this woman who she's a billionaire. she's absurd. She gave millions of dollars to Obama's campaign. She has this cult following of people who worship her. It's a really bizarre whole th- cult thing. Um, oprah has Bush on her show, and she's just like sitting there holding his hand like he's just this wise old sage.
0: Even these oligarchical billionaires who are supposedly liberal, like George Soros and Oprah, all they do is they just prop up the establishment just from mm-hmm. a different side of things, a different, a different way of doing it that's still not threatening to the establishment, and they just protect it. They protect these psychotic killers, basically. I,
2: I think it's because the Democrats are just continuing a lot of their same policies, so it's like by pointing out or even starting to talk realistically about what these people did and how they destroyed our country so much and engaged in all these uh, war crimes would unravel. I think just that whole myth that we're still living under the whole war on terror thing. I mean, it's a slippery slope. If you open Pandora's box, who knows how far it'll go. Um, But yeah, I mean, Oprah makes me sick and, and these people are so pompous and arrogant Cheney, Karl Rove, Bush, how dare you write a book and re- they didn't write it. They probably had it ghost in. but how dare you go on a book tour and act like you deserve anything. You disgusting war criminal pigs. I don't understand how anyone's going to see these people talk in like admiration and just, it is absolutely disgusting. I, it blows my mind that people are even allowing these people to walk freely and just sell books
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's really it, it just shows Sorry, that, I get really angry. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, it, it just really shows that the pillars of our society that are out there to keep a check on power are pretty much gone. I mean, you know, this guy can write a book, sell millions of copies, go on every single TV show and everybody's an apologist for him now.
2: So something that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about other than National Geographic, which is where I heard this from, um, and then put it on media Roots. but the massive coral die-off that they just found, it's seven miles from the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. Massive die-off of coral, and it just goes to show us that we have no idea the holocaust of sea creatures and plant life um, that the oil spill has caused. And the mainstream media just isn't talking about it anymore. And what's really interesting is that we are still getting almost all of our oil and gas from BP. They hold more than $2 billion in annual U.S. defense contracts, and they continue to be the premier producer of oil and gas for this country. So there's no accountability for these corporations. They can just destroy the planet and go about their daily lives and still doesn't skip a beat with the administration. We just still contract them out for everything.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's... It's even hard for me to believe that they've plugged the leak. I mean like <laughs> yeah. I'm just like it's I'm so um you know, I have absolutely no faith in the media or BP to tell me the truth about what's going on in that department.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't believe anything. I mean just because we aren't seeing it doesn't mean that it isn't there. I I've seen a lot of different videos that Gulf residents and workers there, fishermen have uploaded to the internet and I've just been kind of getting news through them talking about how much oil there still is and how they can't fish and how their lives are destroyed. And yeah, we just don't talk about it anymore. But this coral die-off is really, really signifies that there is some devastating effects that we haven't even begun to see. We're also bombing Yemen.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, it's, it's, it is funny. (laughs) I'm sorry audience but uh it's just sometimes you have to laugh at just how ridiculous the world has become (laughs) and uh we we are bombing Yemen um we're bombing Pakistan and back during the Vietnam War it was like you know the 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 anti-war movement made a huge deal about the fact that we were going into Laos and Cambodia and now we're going into Yemen Somalia Pakistan and there's a not a whisper from the anti-war movement just like ah whatever
2: yeah everyone's fair game Everyone in the Middle East right now. So yeah, Glenn Greenwald was on this panel that talked about the erosion of our civil liberties and if terrorism has been um, a a factor of that. And he just breaks it down so eloquently, of course, like always, count on Glenn Greenwald. But he just, I mean, he just points it out, the the blatantly obvious fact that we have not been attacked since 9-11, that every single instance where we've done more of a power grab in terms of like airport security and the TSA and our civil liberties, it's all been over over um, just a made-up threat, like the underwear bomber, the liquid explosive guy, Richard Reed, the shoe bomber, all these things just like, they didn't happen. They're just being hyped up. It didn't even make sense. I mean, the liquid bomber, terrorist bomber guy, he couldn't even really make a liquid explosive. It didn't, nothing makes sense at all, but they still use them to do these giant power grabs and take more of our liberties away and just strip just keep us escalating more. it yeah just escalating more and more and glenn greenwald just poses the question you know why nine years after nine eleven are we still going farther and farther and farther and doing more of a power grab and going after more of our civil liberties he's like you know nine months after nine eleven, it still would be unreasonable and yeah it's still unconstitutional but he can understand it and you know, you could at least justify the threat and the hysteria, but nine years later and we're still seeing these erosions.
0: Yeah. And that, and like part of those erosions include the ability now for the U S government to assassinate an American citizen, as long as he is aiding and abetting terrorism, such as our uh, in in the same panel that Glenn Greenwald is on, an NPR reporter gets up during the Q and a session and goes, excuse me, Glenn, I'm going to have to correct you on some important things, some basic things here. So she starts off with like a passive aggressive, like ad hominem attack. And then, uh, goes into how, um, you know, she knows that Al Waki was involved in um, masterminding the underwear bomber um, and all this other stuff. And Glenn is like, "Oh, you is where have you seen that information? Um, because you know, all I've heard is just innuendo about it. Do you have any um, evidence for that?" And she said, "Well, yes, I was shown a, uh, an affidavit um, by a, an official from the government." And Glenn's like, "Well, can I see that?" And she's like, "Well, I can't talk about it anymore." And Glenn's like. Uh, okay, um, I, I think the way America is kind of supposed to work is that you know we're supposed to um, put it in a actually have court. yeah put it put evidence into court and have a due process and not have um, anonymous government officials give little bits and pieces of information to reporters um, to perpetuate this you know this myth that they want to propagate.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I really liked how he had just like schooled her. He was just like, "So you're telling me that you know this to be true because the government showed you a piece of paper with writing on it." Good. Good. Yeah, job. I've never
0: seen someone get body slammed so hard without a yelling match into like just verbal body slam. What's just like,
2: like, bam, like the, it was amazing. And bringing it back to the cultural myth of the war on terror and the fact that there's this linked together network of Al Qaeda operatives around the world. And they're all led by some command chain of command
0: Yeah, or that they're even or that there's even a threat that's um that's viable or that threatens our way of life in any way of even non-affiliated terrorists just springing up everywhere you know like you know random people being inspired by jihadism and and strapping a bomb to their chest like um there's this really popular indie comedy movie that that just came out called four lions um that's uh that came out in england and you know, everyone's loving it. You know, most of the people I've seen that think it's hilarious are or people that are mostly left left wing in their political views, and it's basically just like a Spinal Tap style mockumentary about four British um, Arab Muslim guys who decide to do terrorism, and it just goes to show that um, you know not only is British our um, British people and you know, the English population, they're, they're experiencing post-traumatic stress kind of from their own 9-11, the 7-7 bombings, um, you know, on a on a delay from us. We're already kind of coming out of that post-traumatic stress, but they're, the English population is still in it. And it's just interesting to see these myths codified to such an extent where now there's like comedies that appeal to like the intellectual, you know, highbrow um, comedy fan.
2: Yeah. <laughs> about yeah. terrorism. It's just, yeah, more propagation of that cultural myth that there is a threat, that we need to be aggressive in our stance and just bringing it back. You know, we can't put our faith into a leader who isn't like taking a stand on the war on terror. I mean, that's something that we just should be critical of. It doesn't make sense. So at the end of this broadcast, we're going to air an interview that I conducted with Paul Lardy, who was on the Freedom Flotilla the series of flotilla aid ships that were, that were on their way to Palestine um, to give aid to the Palestinians, um, and we just wanted to talk about Israel and just the issue of the conflict right now. And um, before we introduce Paul and Arie's interview,
0: yeah, um, an interesting thing from that Glenn Greenwald speech um, that we were just talking about—it's on—it's on the same panel—was um, he mentions the fact that terrorism as the word is used today, is meaningless. It's not even as um, meaningful as the word communism was because at least communism, as it was used, meant something specific. Terrorism today means whatever the users of it want it to mean, whoever wields it. So... And that and that really originates from the way Israel used the definition of terrorism. Israel started using the definition, started to change the definition of terrorism, to basically say anyone you know fighting against us, you know, Palestinians, um, Lebanese, Hezbollah were terrorists. You know, anybody. You know, no matter what they were doing, whether mm. it be suicide bombing, military attacks, and it's worked beautifully for them. I mean, we've just adopted their model of using that word and manipulating the language.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's a really loaded word too. And when the perpetrators of terrorism use the word in order to aggressively take over nations, then it's even scarier.
0: It is. And I remember for years, like right when the Iraq war started, at least two years after the Iraq war, um, the media, when they would report about Deaths in Iraq, like American soldiers getting killed, they would say they would actually say on the news headlines, terrorists killed three Americans today in Iraq. Uh, um, uh, IED bombing went off. Uh, Humvee drove over it and the um, terrorists planted the bomb. I mean, they would use the word terrorist Mm -hmm. for interchangeably with the word insurgent. So now it's evolved into Iraqi insurgents. But it was just amazing the another, way that, that they
2: used that. Another really funny thing, I at, at all these airports that I've been to in the past couple of years since the Iraq war started, uh, every time there is like a news headline like that, they'll only just list the Americans that die. Have you noticed that? Without getting into the very convoluted and complicated history between Israel and Palestine and since the origin of Israel. Um, let me just bring you guys up to date about what's going on right now. Israel's the United States' biggest ally. Uh, they receive 3 to $6 billion a year in aid. We supply all of their military weapons, their military might, and they can do no harm. I mean, they are definitely perpetrators of terrorism, and we're in this global war on terror, yet we see no hypocrisy in continuing to support Israel unabated.
0: And I don't, not only have they been You know, terror in the sense when we're using the word terrorists, we're kind of almost just using it ironically because, you know, they've killed so many innocent people. But um, they've not only done that kind of terrorism where their military has just killed innocent people, starved innocent people, injured innocent people, um, bombed innocent people, but they've also actually done terrorism that totally mimics. Muslim terrorism. I mean, they, they were doing the same exact kind of stuff um, back in the, you know, all the way from the 50s all the way into the 70s. Um, if you've seen the movie Munich, uh, you'll know a little bit about that, um, how they took revenge on the Egyptians. And then uh, also Rahm Emanuel's father was part of an Israeli terrorist organization that bombed innocent people.
2: So Israel was formed in 1949 after World War Two, And just over the last 60 years uh, through numerous treaties um, and land deals, they've just aggressively taken over more and more land, and now they have Palestinians just pushed into the West Bank and Gaza, and within the West Bank and Gaza, Israel pretty much controls almost all of it and is continuing to build settlements. You know, Israel's the only state in the world without defined borders, which is how they're allowed to continuously evade international law and just expand and expand and expand. I just saw this amazing lecture, one of Project Censored's lecture, where this woman who's been going back and forth to Palestine just as a journalist for the last six years, just talking to people on the ground, she just told me some shocking statistics. Uh, 60% of the West Bank is actually actually under Israeli control, which means that they just have checkpoints set up everywhere. People are sometimes it takes people eight hours to get home, to get from their home to work, and back. So that's how many. That's like how. Much of a maze the Israeli commandos have built into this area. Forty-two um, percent of the are, I'm sorry, forty-two percent of the homes in the West Bank are Israeli settlements. There's over 120 settlements there in the West Bank. So just think these are the last two remaining areas that Palestinians can live, and that's how many settlements there are, and they're growing by the day. Already in 2010, there's been almost 300 demolitions of Palestinian homes. And in Gaza, there's 1.5 million people trapped inside the coastal strip of Gaza. Um, There's a buffer zone around the checkpoints. And sometimes people are resorted to just collecting scrap metal there because... They've just been forced out of every other way of life. Um, there's monocropping, and so they've just taken away a lot of means to live. So people are resorted to going to these train tracks and picking up scrap metal. But there's a lot of train tracks that are in this thing called a buffer zone, which is the order of shoot to kill by Israeli soldiers if they see any Palestinians in that zone. And a lot of people aren't aware that there's a buffer zone also in conjunction to the wall. Um,
0: Sounds an awful lot like the Jewish ghettos in, in, during Nazi Germany. I mean... All these things that uh, that Israel, you know, for a country that that talks about the Holocaust and, and the way they were treated by Nazi Germany an awful lot, it seems like a lot of their actions um, have caused them to expend a lot of that goodwill that would have been generated from sympathy from the Holocaust. I mean, for instance, like the shoot to kill thing at checkpoints um, or... You know this video footage we've seen of a Palestinian man uh, being forced to play a violin for a bunch of Israeli soldiers who are mocking and ridiculing him. I mean, that sounds an awful lot like the in the hol- in the concentration camps when they had uh, the Jewish people play violin for the Nazis to entertain them. Absolutely, pleasure music in the background for them. You know, while they're waiting to get away. executed. And. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There's so many parallels between the way Israel treats their citizens to Nazi Germany. I mean, it, it, it really is.
2: It's just disturbing. so scary that there's not more international outcry. I mean, I know that there is, but just the U.S. leads the way in and- foreign policy and just what what the world is focusing on. These soldiers will go and they'll just kidnap kids. They'll tr- put these kids in prison for weeks. They're pulled out of their schools. The kids are traumatized. They'll go later to the kids' house that are completely innocent. They, they're probably just like being kids and they just wanted to mess with them. Um, this one instance, this family, five-year-old boy and like an eight-year-old boy were taken into custody for weeks. Finally, when they got released back to their house, one of them hasn't been back to school because he was so traumatized about what happened to him. Um, the other one went back to school, but the Israeli soldiers came back and like beat the hell out of him in the house with his mom there and like beat, them, beat the whole family up. They go by know. and they shoot the water tanks with guns and they'll just like, I mean, just the most inhumane thing that you can imagine, just everything, just dehumanizing these people to the point of animals.
0: But again, the word terrorism is used to just take your eye away from the fact that these are actual real human beings with families, children, wives. Every time an Israeli soldier guns somebody down at a checkpoint or, you know, one of them starves to death or dies from dirty water or not having proper sanitation. I mean, you know, it just this word terrorism is just used to just basically remove your heart and just Mm -hmm. like make you stop caring about what's going on.
2: Yeah. You're limiting your empathy to just like Americans and not other people who have families and are human beings and have lives that deserve to be lived. Um, Another really interesting thing. If you guys just go on Google and just type in Israeli settlements, you can see the, the photos of some of the settlements that they're building. It's called the architecture of occupation and they're building these settlements on top of, the Gaza settlements which are just like ghettos i mean they're building their homes with, like tents and stuff it's really sad and the israeli settlements are just these giant concrete buildings that look like a prison i mean it's it's they look like a castle like and they're all interlaid where you can't see where one ends and one begins so it just looks like you're completely surrounded by this castle prison thing and you're just like stuck in the middle
0: it's incredible to me that that people you know they only talk about the gaza strip and and you know but um they only talk about like the gaza strip and how closed off you know it is from the rest of israel but no one really mentions too much about how people in in these closed off territories are actually they're all cordoned off from each other as well they're in they're in tiny little fragments they're like It is just like one giant prison yard Mm -hmm. and ghetto that's been cordoned off.
2: Yeah, that's being surveilled constantly by Israeli soldiers. Oh, and one really interesting thing also, you know, we have the Department of Homeland Security. Well, we actually funded this Palestinian um, government organization that's like the Homeland Security over there where we're funding them now to basically just like turn against their own population. It's like a homeland security, but in Palestine and we're completely behind it all where we're training them to like seek out terrorists that are living in the Gaza Strip and West Bank and, um, and just like go and raid their homes and stuff.
0: Yeah. We basically included, you know, created the equivalent of like brown shirt Palestinians.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they're so desperate. I mean, we're paying them. I don't know. It's just really sad what it's all resorted to. We're just turning people against each other and, We're just the benefactors.
0: The Gaza flotilla raid was an event that happened on May 31st of this year. Um, Six ships were on their way to deliver aid to Gaza um, and and international waters. And Israel intercepted them um, and killed nine activists. Um, And some of those people on those ships that were killed uh, included one American I mean, imagine if any other country um, killed an American citizen in something like this, and another person, included a seventeen-year-old kid, that mm-hmm. was, and he was uh, shot in the face. Yeah, when he was already injured. The UN's investigation of the flotilla raid showed that they killed, basically killed him in cold blood.
2: Yeah, and then the media immediately started covering, at least in America, that it just showed this weird footage over and over again of this, like, black and white screen footage. Uh,
0: Yeah, it was, like, really, um, it was, like, filmed from the Israeli ship. And they had uh, circles, circling the, you know.
2: It showed the Israeli soldiers going on board of the ships and Palestinians, or not the Palestinians, but it showed Israeli soldiers going on the ships and it was circling the people on the ship who were hitting them with chairs and stuff. And then it just kept, like, pointing at these people who were hitting them, and it was saying that these people were being really aggressive, but then later it came out that the Israeli soldiers shot and killed numerous people on the ships before they even propelled down. So, of course, you know, you think you're going to die. I would pick up a chair anything around me. I mean, you're going to fight for your life. These people are coming on to kill you. You just saw people die.
0: Yeah, and the the Israelis never released the entire... Video footage they they sent out to the media, carefully edited and overlaid video footage where they just you know like you said they just circled, you know the people who were using chairs to try to fight off these murderers who were coming out of their ship, and like you know, basically distracting you from what was really going on. Imagine if you saw footage of the Tank Man in Tiananmen Square, and the only form that you saw it in was a big yellow circle around the Tank Man saying. Uh, terrorist, and then the little suitcase he's holding had a circle around it saying bomb or anthrax or something. I mean, yeah. you can manipulate video footage. I mean, when it's when it's manipulated in that way, it is really suspicious. It was just time.
2: funny. Yeah, that same clip was played like a thousand times that day. It was just over and over and over again. So this clip that we're gonna play now is Glenn Greenwald um, talking to Elliot Spitzer. He was filling in for some host on MSNBC or CNN or something like that. And well, what show? MSNBC. So the clip we're going to play is Glenn Greenwald and his analysis of the flotilla raid and then also just the propaganda that was being played over and over again of this clip, um, this edited down clip that Israel supplied to the Western media. So Greenwald just breaks this down really well. He just kind of destroys Spitzer's logic and we're going to play that
1: Let's bring in Glenn Greenwald from Salon.com, who calls Israel's actions, quote, heinous and repugnant. And uh, let me me just ask you, you have uh, ships approaching Gaza, controlled by Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Israel did, I don't think this is disputed, offer to have the ships uh, inspected. If there was no contraband on board, let the ships continue on, on to Gaza. Why was that not a reasonable offer, and why can Israel not intercede to stop the flow of contraband?
3: Well, first of all, International Waters, which is where this ship was, is not owned by Israel. Uh, It is a crime, a war crime, to attack a ship in International Waters that is not engaged in any aggression. And no one claims that these ships were. I mean, what you're describing is absolute anarchy, that any country can just say, no ships can go here, and if you disobey our order, we're going to attack you, board your ship forcefully, and kill anybody who doesn't resist. Secondly, let me me me. just finish, because you just just had on 10 minutes of uninterrupted pro-Israel Israeli propaganda filled with falsehoods. The blockade is one of the most brutal and inhumane blockades we've seen in the last generation. Look at UN reports that are objective, not Netanyahu aids, that say that 60% of the babies in Palestine have anemia, 65% of the population is food insecure, the entire Palestinian economy has collapsed as a result of this blockade. Israel routinely refuses to permit all sorts of uh... Of imports including food chocolate french fries anything but the barest necessities to keep those prisoners which is what they are
1: Glenn, Glenn, let lot. me just i, I hear Glenn, hold, hold on just one second let, let's go back ruth Wed- wedgwood who is it was a, really a top flight uh... intellect and, and scholar of international law said that nations that are at war are permitted in international water to enforce a blockade and to check to see if contraband is on board now Nobody has said that Israel has prevented humanitarian uh, materials to flow through to Gaza. You may be saying there's not enough. I just just said
3: that. The U.N. has said that. Everybody says that. Israel constantly prevents humanitarian aid from going through to Gaza. And that's why this claim of, oh, you just give us the cargo and we'll take care of it for you is an absolute and absurd joke. For the last three years, the Israeli prime minister's aid, top aid, when the blockade was first imposed, said the purpose is to put the Palestinians on a diet. That's what the Israeli really, Prime Minister's top eight said about the reason this blockade was instituted is a completely inhumane well, uh, uh, blockade that is that is starving the people of Palestine, as the UN says, not as I say or Hamas says, or as you say or as Netanyahu say, look at the objective reports Can, can we go? Can we go that what's happening to the people of that population.
1: Okay, let's step back one second. Let's see if we can agree on one thing. Is Hamas, in your view, a terrorist organization?
3: Hamas is the democratically elected leadership of the people in Gaza, and they're recognized in fair and free elections as having been elected by everybody across the world. So that's what they are. Have they engaged in terrorism? Yes. Did the Israelis who founded the Israeli uh, government and the Israeli state engage in terrorism? Yes, they have. Uh, Turkey says that what Israelis did is an act of terrorism itself. But Hamas is the democratically elected government of the of the Gaza Strip, and, and is the chosen uh, Government To, to be represented Do, does it is, 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 has Israel been brutally occupying the Palestinian people for the last forty years, have they or haven 't they
1: D- does it affect your analysis that Hamas have, right? has, is, look, then hold on a does it affect your analysis that Hamas has as its stated policy the destruction of the state of Israel, and in fact Egypt as well is blockading Gaza and Hamas because Egypt as well views Hamas as a terrorist organization, so both Israel and Egypt. Here are agreeing that only humanitarian uh, materials should go through, and both have stated objective to prevent war material from going through over this border by land or by sea. And and, uh, so, what
3: you're what you're you're referring to is the Egyptian dictator that is the leading recipient of U.S. aid, several billion dollars, billion dollars a year, right after the Israelis. So yes, the Israeli dictatorship, along with the Israeli government and their patrons in the United States, all agree that. People of Gaza should be suffocated and closed off into a prison. If you're going to cite the actions of the Israeli dictator, the Egyptian dictatorship, as though that lends moral authority to this horrendous blockade, that's pretty bizarre. Now, well, well, yeah, we're playing it all fair,ness I think. Charter. Glenn,
0: that was a really good clip.
2: <laughs> Glenn Greenwald destroys Elliot Spitzer.
0: <laughs> yeah, he he doesn't answer like any of his questions. What's your favorite part of that clip?
2: My favorite part is when. Um, Elliot Spitzer says, Is Hamas a terrorist organization? And then he says, Hamas is a democratically elected leadership of Palestine. And then, and then when he says to Spitzer, he's just like, Has Israel been occupying illegally occupying Palestine for the last 60 years? Have they or haven't they? And
0: yeah, he just doesn't even answer.
2: (laughs) He's just like, Really good.
0: (laughs) I found the part really disturbing though that, uh, I didn't even know this before I watched this clip again. I must have forgotten this part, but that one of the aides to Benjamin Netanyahu actually said that. Their plan for this, these new, um, the new way they're going to treat, you know, the Palestinians is to put them on a diet. I mean, that Jesus, I mean, that's just right there out in the open. He's basically just admitting that his plan is to starve them. Um, so of course, people are going to want to give them humanitarian aid and go around these ridiculous protocols where you have to hand off the humanitarian aid to the Israelis for them to filter it down to the Palestinians. They're just going to. They're not going to give it to them. It's obvious that they want them to suffer.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Speaking of suffering, the woman who I just saw this lecture said that one of the banned things on the list is anesthetics. And someone from Palestine told her, he was just like, it's almost like the Israelis just want us to suffer like really bad. (laughs) I mean, they want us to suffer so badly that they don't even want to give us anesthesia.
0: And there's a really good part of that, that clip we just played where where Spitzer goes well what do you think about not only is Israel stopping um, things being brought through the Palestinian shores but uh, but Egypt is, is agrees on the blockade as well. What do you have to say about that Greenwald? Um, Greenwald's like well that's really bizarre that you would
2: Yeah yeah G- Greenwald's just like that's really bizarre that you would use Egypt as an example when Egypt is like one of the biggest like human rights abusers and we give them three billion dollars uh, a year in aid as well Egypt's just terrible to their people. Dr. Paul LaRudy is a San Francisco Bay Area human rights advocate for justice for Palestine. Um, He works with the International Solidarity Movement and the Free Palestine Movement and was a co-founder of the Free Gaza Movement. He was on board the Sfandani, a ship of the Freedom Flotilla attempting to bring humanitarian aid to Gaza. So stay tuned for an exclusive interview with Dr. Paul LaRudy about his experience from the aid flotilla attack and what happened to him afterward in the Israeli prison
0: well thanks everybody for checking out our 6th episode of Media Roots Um, please check out our SoundCloud timeline to source everything that we've been talking about during the entire broadcast Um, you actually have to go to the SoundCloud page to click on the hyperlinks that we've linked on the timeline and uh, please go to www.mediaroots.org.
2: Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Have a great day. before Israel intervened, and tell me about that night.
4: Sure. Um, it took, uh, depending on the starting point, because the, the boats started in, from various places, mm-hmm. and we, were, we left Athens maybe a week before we actually joined up with the other ships mm-hmm. in the, uh, at the meeting point in the Mediterranean. Uh, and uh, we made plans to be as far away as possible from the coast of Gaza When uh, at sunrise, on on the the day of arrival, so that we would arrive actually in Gaza maybe around 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, we made no secret of where we were. Uh, The Israeli forces, uh, obviously, we, we were not really expecting them at that time of the morning because we were so far away from the coast of Gaza. We were 80 or 90 miles at sea, mm-hmm. and we were heading in the opposite direction, away from Gaza at that time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, but, of course, they did um, uh, reach us by radio in advance and say that they were coming. And, uh, and so we did prepare. And our preparation, uh, there, there's kind of a a myth or uh, that has been spread with the assistance of the Israeli PR, that there was one bad boat there that mm-hmm. uh, resisted mm-hmm. and that, uh, that harmed Israeli soldiers and that therefore Israeli soldiers had to take extraordinary measures. It's not true. All of the boats uh, put up. Um, resistance of one kind or another, all, all essentially nonviolent resistance as well uh, until they started killing people. And then uh, even then it was any kind of resistance was still non-lethal mm-hmm. and uh, they didn’t harm the soldiers that they captured, for example. Um, and so in our case on our, on our boat, uh, we, We linked arms, we uh, resisted, we tried to prevent them from entering the wheelhouse while the captain was uh, was in still steering. But they smashed a couple of the windows, the glass harmed uh, uh, some of the people, including the captain, and they fired stun grenades, uh, and they used tasers, and they beat us maybe with batons or with the butts of their guns. I don't know, Uh, I could feel it, but I didn't know what it was that was hitting me. Mm And they eventually, of course, uh, subdued us. Now, um, people reacted in various ways, and we discussed about how to continue resisting and what information not to give and what to, to, not to sign and so forth. In my case, I, I guess I went a bit farther. Um, I, um, they handcuffed me using the, twi- the, the nylon ties and uh, told me to sit in the back of the ship and I said that's okay I'm fine right here in the front of the ship and I sat down so I asked out loud to everybody "Um, did they remove your handcuffs and and, uh, they said yes Uh, so I just slipped my hand out of the the handcuff because I had turned my wrist in such a way that it wouldn't uh, get on there so and then the uh, soldiers told me to sit down, and I said, no, I don't feel like sitting down, I've been sitting down for a long time. And they, they eventually uh, beat me, actually, on the, on the spot there and threw me down to the deck and tied uh, new, new uh, hand, uh, nylon ties on my hands, very tight, cutting off the circulation. So the doctor, uh, our doctor, uh, on the ship came over and ordered them to cut those ties, and they said, "Well, if he agrees to 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 sit down." And so the doctor said, "Well, you have to agree to sit down." And I said, "Okay." And um, but then I saw that they were asking each of the passengers to come, and, for what I don't know, maybe to ask about their baggage and mm-hmm. uh, electronic equipment, and, and I said, wait a minute, why are we cooperating with them? Because I, th- I thought that was what we were not going to do. Uh, but they still continued going one by one, so I decided let's find something more that can, can disrupt things. And That's when I got in my head, uh, I'm face in front of about 30 people who are looking just in my direction. Uh, And the sun is up, uh, bright sunshine, and it was a great opportunity to just jump over the side of the ship. Mm -hmm. And so I called the doctor over and I handed him uh, a few things, uh, documents and my passport and, and some money that I had. And I asked, actually, in my very poor Greek, because Greek was the one language I figured they, they, nobody, none of the Israeli <laughs> soldiers would understand, what do you think of the idea of jumping over the side of the ship? And they said, well, if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so I did. They, the soldiers were distracted by one of the passengers who was having a... Um, Uh, diabetic Mm -hmm. uh, seizure, Mm -hmm. and so I went over to the rail and I climbed over the side and I actually waited for as many people as possible to notice me and maybe even photograph if possible. Mm -hmm. And of course the soldiers soon saw me uh, there and started to rush over and that's when I jumped. And it achieved the desired effect. That they cut the motors to the to the vessel. they had to wait for another naval ship to to come in and collect me. And even that ship, it took about an hour to collect me because I was not cooperating with being collected. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, then they were rather brutal actually uh, when they did uh, reach me, and they tied me on top of the the ship where I almost went in, I, I, I could feel that at one point I was uh, going into shock from uh, hypothermia um, because we were traveling fast. I had slowed them down a lot, and they were the last ship into into harbor <clears throat> and um, and so the wind was drying out my wet clothes uh, and uh, So, they, uh, but eventually we reached an accommodation and then when I got on shore, I just let my body go limp uh, and uh, refused to speak to anybody Uh, and they had to carry me around. uh, And eventually they tied me to a stretcher, which was not a pretty picture for the cameras that were there because there were cameras. I don't know. I'm sure they were heavily censored uh, afterwards, but, but there were cameras there. And in the process of the various beatings and things that I got, uh, my, tore, my clothes were torn to shreds and they had replaced them and then they tore the, the new uh, clothes uh, in a very strategic location in my, in case mm-hmm. of my pants. Mm-hmm. And I told them that I needed to have that. They took me to the hospital, I refused treatment, I refused to cooperate there. They tried to make things difficult by saying, uh, when I needed to go to the bathroom, that they wouldn't allow me i said i said this is for your benefit that i'm going to the bathroom in a toilet because i could go anywhere <laughs> you know? and uh, so anyway so they they cooperated on that and uh, but when they took me back to the processing center after my not cooperating at the hospital uh, i i told them twice that i needed a new pair of pants and i had told them at the hospital as, as well and then I was very dramatic about uh, about showing them why I needed mm-hmm. a new pair of pants, uh, which was that the entire crotch area was completely open. And uh, so at that point they picked me up and they took me to the other side of the room. There must uh, anywhere between five and ten of them did this. They took me to the carried me to the other side of the room, <clears throat> and then they they really uh, beat me rather hard. They. They slammed my head against the concrete, they kicked me in the head, they uh, uh, twisted my arms, they uh, kicked me in the ribs, and so on and so forth, and, w- and one of my Greek colleagues came to my defense and got, ended up with a broken leg and, uh, uh, and a broken rib. Uh, and But I didn't, partly because I didn't resist, uh, I think. And. So after that, I collected myself and I went uh, um, and I said, well, this is all very good, but you still forgot my pants. And so they, they said, OK, we'll put, we're going to take you to prison and, and, uh, in a few minutes. Uh, so, uh, w- so that you, we're going to take you out of the public. We're going to put you in a vehicle outside. But we have to carry you from here to, uh, to there, um, and you mustn't talk to the press uh, on the way outside. Uh, so you have to pr- if you want to go, uh, you have to pr- and, and get your pants, you have to promise to not to talk to the press. I said, "I don't promise not to pr- talk to the press. I promise you that I will talk to the press and so they carried me anyway and did it as quickly as possible and I did get a chance to talk to the press, which I'm sure was was cut. Sure. And um, in the prison, uh, they uh, just, I mean, there were all kinds of experiences, but one of them, for example, was that they put me and the captain in a separate prison altogether mm-hmm. from most of the rest of the prisoners and in a room that is really a holding cell with no window in it or anything like that. Presumably to keep us separate from the rest of the prisoners because when they discovered that I could speak Arabic and was talking to some of the other prisoners they immediately separated us because they didn't want us, any not, not just me, but any of the 700 prisoners to, to get any information from outside as to what was happening and what the reaction was and so forth. And um, so, uh, so I said, uh, well, I don't accept this. We don't have any time pieces. We don't know night from day. Uh, there's no window. There's no air in this, in, the, in this cell. So they knew that I was diabetic, that I had to uh, uh, take medication. And I said, OK, I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink. And I'm not going to take my medication until you put us in a cell mm-hmm. that, that has a window in it where we can see some daylight, get some fresh air. They cleared out an entire wing of the prison because you can talk through the, the cell doors, you see. And so in that entire wing, we were the only two prisoners. Uh, and they removed the television sets, which is, they have tele- television sets in all of these cells to keep the prisoners occupied, but not for us, because we were not supposed to get any news from the outside as to what was happening. And um, so then finally, uh, on the third day, they took us to the airport to have us uh, sent home and I said, well, I'm not going anywhere without talking to my lawyer first. Oh, uh, and the, uh, the consul general, the U.S. consul general came uh, and um, so the head of the prison came and said, well, you have to wear this shirt because I was wearing a sleeveless undershirt mm-hmm. the whole time. It was hot. And, uh, And he said, well, if you want to see your consul general, you have to be presentable. You have to wear this. These are prison regulations. I said, that's not true. I said, the reason you want me to wear that shirt is because you don't want him to see all the bruises that are all over my body. And guess what? I want him to see them. So I'm not going to wear your shirt. And you can go tell... the the U.S. Consul General, that you will not allow me to see him because I refuse to put a shirt on. So he got very upset, but he let me go uh, and see the Consul General. And after the Consul General saw me, I gave him an authorization to release the information that I had given him to everybody, the world, uh, my family and friends and the public. And he did. And uh, so that's when a little bit of my story started to get out. Um, and then when they took us to the airport, uh, they tried to do the same thing and I refused. And, and then they got rough again. Uh, and they used a kind of handcuff that it's metal and very restricting so that you can hardly move your, your hands in any direction. but when they wanted to get rough and I, and I would relax my body, they would carry me by the handcuffs, which cut into my wrists and, and, uh, and extremely painful. So I would scream, and, uh, um, but eventually um, they, they forced me into the van uh, going to the airport but not without the clothes that they said didn't exist, the torn-up clothes, mm-hmm. which I said I wasn't leaving without. And so they brought those along. Um, and when we got to the airport, I, I tried to tell them all that, that I wasn't leaving without talking to a lawyer first. I wanted to know my rights mm-hmm. before I do anything. But the Greeks had made a special arrangement because by that time, the, Israeli, the, the, uh, the Turks had uh, made arrangements for everybody to go to, uh, to Istanbul, and they would take care of their tickets and uh, sort out the luggage and the belongings and all this sort of thing which had gotten mixed up. But that wouldn't work for the Greeks. The Greeks could not be seen to be rescued by the Turks. <laughs> so the Greek government made a, a separate arrangement. And they, they sent an aircraft, uh, a military aircraft, and the Greeks uh, asked me to go with them. And this is because we have a history, and that I'm very well known in, in, in Greece to a certain extent. I'm mm-hmm. subject of a j- documentary and, and this kind of thing. And it would be a big advantage for them to have me uh, there for news coverage, and it would, it would get a lot of attention. And so they said, it's better for you to come with us. And they said, besides, we've already spoken to a lawyer. And this is what the lawyer advised. I said, who's the lawyer that you spoke to? Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, uh, Gabby Lasky. Well, Gabby Lasky was my lawyer in 2006. And she was the one that I was hoping to see anyway. So I said, well, if Gabby says so, then that's (laughs) that's fine.
2: (laughs) So you were there for two days, you said, before you went over to, to Greece. Yeah uh,
4: yeah. uh yeah. I was uh yeah, about two and a half days. And uh but they beat me one more time at the airport because uh when uh when we were uh, getting ready to go, they took two busloads of Greeks and left behind uh, two or three of us who had some passport issues. Mine, for example, my name was in in the, the different name. Sure. And um and then uh, so when one of the Israeli officials said to me, well, we need to clear up a few things. Can you come back with us? So I said, fine, because I figured the fix was in, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, so they took me back through passport control. And when we got all the way back, he said, you're going to Istanbul. You're not going to Greece. I said, no, I'm going to Greece. He said, no, it's not up to you. It's up to us and we've decided that you're going to Istanbul. I said, it is up to me, and I'm not going to Istanbul. We'll force you on the aircraft. I said, "Uh, no, they won't accept me on the aircraft. Uh, Why not? I said, these are devout Muslim uh, Turkish men and women. They will not accept to have a naked man on board the aircraft. And so they understood, and they said, well, then we'll just have to throw you back in in, in prison. I said, "Uh, I'm not going to cooperate with anything except going to to Greece with the Greeks. Mm -hmm. So uh, they started to force me. And at that point, I was standing in front of about 30 to 35 other prisoners a few of whom I I knew Mm -hmm. uh, personally. And uh, so they picked me up again by these handcuffs, which by that time, I mean, I had cuts around my wrists, and they were carrying me with this metal digging into those cuts. So I screamed again, and they beat me in the ribs and, and all this sort of thing and started to carry me off. And the 30 to 35 others just erupted in a riot they started throwing chairs and yelling and screaming and uh, and the one the, the four or so who were carrying me um, uh, just uh, uh, threw me on the floor on the floor left one soldier uh, uh, to, to, to watch over me and they went back to, to quell the, the disturbance mm-hmm. that was going on. And one man, one Turkish man, was brought over and uh, in front of me, I was just lying on the floor and I couldn't see what was happening behind me, but they brought him in front of me against the wall and they threw him down on the floor. And they crushed both of his legs and his, his ribs. And um, then after everything was quiet, they started to haul me away again and they started smashing me in, uh, on the jaw. And I said to the soldier who was doing that, I said, excuse me, is this uh, uh, what they teach you in order to be the most moral army on earth? Um, Because uh, show me again how how the soldiers of the most moral army on earth behave. Mm -hmm. And he smashed me again in the face. I said to him, well, I don't know, I'm still not convinced that you're the most moral. Do you want to try shooting me in the head? And they he got very upset, and they had to just kind of pull him away. Um, but then they started to bounce my head on the on the marble stairway down to the to the staging area uh exactly and um, and uh but right at that moment is when the Greek representative came back with his Israeli official, uh, and you had this. Argument between Israeli officials as to what was going to ha- mm-hmm. become of me, mm-hmm. and uh, and the uh, the Greeks prevailed. Basically, they were they weren't going to leave without me. So, Wonderful. yeah. So that's what you, so then I ended up in Greece.
2: Um, and you know, there's been so much propaganda, obviously, in the mainstream media about what did happen on the flotilla that with the Israeli commandos propelled right. down on board, um, and I just watching the news channels just over and over again circling the Palestinians, or not the Palestinians, but the people on board right. with chairs and umbrellas and saying, look, they attacked them. Um, but then, of course, there's eyewitness accounts that right. says that there was actually shots fired and there were In advance, killed. Yeah. And so you can comment. Did you hear from other eyewitnesses I, that were there? Of course,
4: I was not on that, mm-hmm. on that ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have spoken to people who were and um, if you put the timeline together, as f- as near as I can figure out, they tried to board the Mavi Marmara uh, roughly the same way that they boarded ours. That mm-hmm. is, to c- do it by sea, mm-hmm. not not from the air. And when they failed by sea because the people on the ship would unhook the grappling hooks that that were going to be used, and they used the fire hoses mm-hmm. to prevent the the commandos from coming up by sea. That's when they brought in the helicopters, and the helicopters. Um, it was the Givati Brigade, apparently, mm-hmm. that uh, the and they they're. This is not a subtle group. They um, and. From what everyone ha- who, who was there says, there were two people who were killed before anybody repelled down, and uh, and after they repelled down, they made sure that they were killed by finishing the job, uh, and the rest uh, we know, and uh, so so um, I think I think uh, in any case nobody is going to believe that uh, 500 Israeli commandos, armed to the teeth, mm-hmm. but nonviolent, violent mm-hmm. uh, came Good for poverty. a stroll, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. came for a stroll in the Mediterranean, 90 miles at sea, uh, and happened across some um, unarmed, but violent, unruly, uh, um, humanitarian aid workers who assaulted them. Right. You know, I mean, this is, that's absurd.
2: Right. Um, why, why do you think there is so much propaganda demonizing Palestine and, and propping up Israel in the U.S.?
4: Well, it's for the same reason that the kind of things that were used to justify the slavery of Africans, uh, the um, ethnic cleansing of uh, the savage uh, uh, Native Americans on this continent, and. Uh, uh, the, the kinds of things that were said about Japanese during World War II and, and so forth, you have to demonize those whom you need to eliminate. And that's what it's all about. There are 11 million Palestinians, maybe a little bit more, in the world right now, uh, 8 million of whom have no possibility of living in their homes in Palestine. And the remaining 3 million um, that are living in their homes in Palestine are under continual pressure to leave those homes. Mm-hmm. This is what it's about. It's uh, I mean there there are other Palestinians who are in Palestine, but they're not living in their homes.
2: Colonialism. Yeah. What do you What do you think about people who scoff at civil disobedience? Um, it seems like that's what the international solidarity movement, your core, right? Um, and Gandhi, Satyagraha. Um, what do, you, what do you say about people who say that that's not useful in terms of ob- obtaining a message? Um,
4: those who make the argument for uh, armed resistance, um, I think a, a good case can be made for armed resistance. But I don't think there's a good case to, to be made for exclusively armed resistance. And maybe there's not such a good case to be made for exclusively nonviolent resistance either. But the thing about nonviolent resistance is that when an entire population refuses to obey um, the powers that are trying to control them, or even to eliminate them, uh, or they they assert their own will in defiance of, of those authorities, there's not much that they can do because this is about a few controlling the many, and the only way you can the few can control the many is is with intimidation. So um, so if those people refuse to be intimidated, there's not much you can do about it. And that's and and furthermore, nonviolent resistance is the most democratic form of resistance because everyone can participate when you have. Uh, armed resistance, then you basically have a few armed fighters who are supplied and and, uh, and sustained by the rest of the population. But that's what the rest of the population does. They sustain the fighters. Mm-hmm. And the fighters are maybe one in a thousand of the population. In, in nonviolent resistance, everybody gets to take part.
2: And there's no justification for violence, and that would... It- it's more expository if they react with violence. If you are
4: exactly now, it does depend upon uh, solidarity, mm-hmm. because if if there's no solidarity, then the people, just like the the um, the native population of North America, can simply be wiped out. Uh, but there there it you have to appeal to the conscience of a larger society, and without that, it. It doesn't work well.
2: Right. I just saw a lecture with Nora Barrows Friedman. Yes. The Project Censored series and I was appalled to learn of the specifics of the aggressive takeover in the occupied territories right now. Um, the safe zones, the settlements, the continuous expansion of settlements, the abuses of human rights, they're terror- terrorizing the Palestinian people and property and you know we have Netanyahu just said that peace talks are off the table Israel is the only country in the world with no defined borders but what they're doing is against international law. Um, The Human Human Sciences Research Council of South Africa has just released a study indicating that Israel is practicing both colonialism and apartheid in the territories. Yet of course we support Israel with three to six billion dollars a year in aid. And here we are sanctioning Iran for their human rights abuses, yet the three largest recipients of USAID, Egypt, Saudi Arabia and Israel. Can you comment on just the climate that you see, you know, the sanctions on Iran and just this extreme hypocrisy of what's going on and, and our aggressive stance toward Iran and, and Palestine?
4: Well, I think if the United States is serious about trying to um, uh, prevent prevent Iran from having nuclear weapons, then uh, the United States has to treat Iran the way it treats other uh, powers that have tried or even succeeded in getting nuclear weapons. So that, for example, if we if we take Israel as the model, then the United States should shower Iran with e- economic and military aid because right. that's what we do with people who develop nuclear weapons. Right. So, uh, I mean, the hypocrisy is just... Uh, um, uh, too obvious to to uh, uh, to ignore, and but it does show one thing, and that is, we, in this country, have experienced slavery, and we've experienced one of the most effective, and one of the greatest ethnic cleansings in the history of the world to clear an entire continent of its population, and yet. We don't. Uh, slavery is is not exactly popular today, mm-hmm. uh, and and yet it was justified at one time. Were those people who 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 advocated slavery say 200 years ago, were they just plain ignorant? And were the people who ethnically cleansed uh, the population of North America? Were they so much more racist and ignorant than we are today?
2: Was it a product of I our society?
4: Yes, and, I, and we have to realize that our attitude towards Palestinians and the terror, that when we talk about terrorists, this is just an epithet. Uh, it, it means we don't have to ask why they did what they did. Uh, in, for example, the attack on the World Trade Center. We don't have to say that this is a reaction to something that we did, for example. Uh, We don't have to ask these questions, and we are just as capable of um, the, the people who instituted slavery, the people who cleared North America, the, the Germans who, who did that, we're just as capable of the same kinds of atrocities, and that's exactly what we're supporting in the case of Palestine. Uh, why? Because of the way the story is told. These people are terrorists. They're, 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 uh, they're unreasonable. Didn't we offer them Uh, Didn't the United Nations offer the Palestinians almost half of their country? (laughs) And didn't Israel offer them more than 90% of the 22% that Israel hadn't already annexed? I mean, it's absurd arguments here. Mm -hmm. But we buy them. Why? Because because we think of Israelis as like us, and we don't think of Palestinians as being like us. Well, they're all like us. They're all human beings. And, uh, and uh, But we have to realize that all human beings are capable of terrible, terrible acts as well. And we have to, uh, whatever principles we think we have, we have to really try to apply them across the board with everyone, whether they're Palestinians or Israelis or South Africans or anybody else. And if we do, we, we will see our own hypocrisy.
2: If you want to listen to the full interview conducted with Dr. Paul LaRudy, go to mediaroots.org and go to the Listen tab, and then you can check out the full interview, which is over an hour, um, to listen to his whole story and how he got involved in the Palestinian cause. So definitely check that out. And there will also be a link to this full interview on this broadcast page. Thanks so much.